Hello and welcome to the One Thing Podcast brought to you by the Horton Group. We're at the Horton Group. We specialize in insurance, employee benefits, and risk advisory. And I'm your host, Jason Helfer. Well-being cannot exist just in your head. Well-being is a combination of feeling good and it's actually having meaning, good relationships, and accomplishment. So for today's podcast, we're going to be discussing positive psychology and how its principles are being implemented in a large IDD agency headquarters just outside of Chicago. So for that discussion and to lead us to a discussion, we're excited to have as a guest, a friend and client of the Horton Group, CEO and all-around good guy of Trinity Services, headquartered out of New Lenox, Illinois, Thane Dykstra. How are you, Thane? I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here today. Well, we're very, very excited you're here with us. And so, Thane, being an expert on the subject of positive psychology, you more than likely recognize the quote as one being coined by Martin Seligman, um, Seligman excuse me, who was often coined as the pioneer or father of positive psychology. And so, Thane, when you hear a quote like that from Seligman, does it make you think of Trinity in a way or your program participants or your team members? And I'll read it again in case you know I, I read it too fast. And so well-being cannot exist just in your own head well-being is a combination of feeling good as well as actually having meaning good relationships and accomplishment does that make you think at all of trinity or the work you guys are doing yeah well absolutely because uh, we've focused much effort uh, in the past several years sort of applying seligman's um, principles of positive psychology within our organization and I think that, that it's timely because of COVID, which I don't want to talk much about today, that I think that positive psychology and PERMA, uh, sort of the acronym that, that you just put out there, is sort of the antithesis and antidote in some ways to, to some of the, um, I don't know, effects of, of COVID. Okay. And so, you know, um, you know, Seligman's wrote, written several books. You know, his most recent one on positive psychology probably is Flourish, where he lays out... Um, the sort of pillars of positive psychology. And, um, you know, those include positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. And the way he sort of conceptualizes that is that um, you don't have to do well in all those domains, but it's helpful, you know, the, the more, um, you know, the better that you're doing in those different areas, then, you know, you're more likely to have uh, good, well, good well-being or to, to be flourishing. And so before we jump into maybe how learning how the Trinity team, you know, has implemented some of these principles of positive psychology into person-centered planning, you know, mm -hmm. navigate if you can, um, us as listeners. And so we are, so for the listeners, Thane is very well read on the subject and very well published on the subject. And so what do we need to know if we're going to talk about the principles of positive psychology today? You know, walk us through what do we need to know as you guide us through this conversation? Well, I think the, the first and foremost thing is that I think many people are sort of hungry um, as are wrestling with things like depression and anxiety, right? I was doing our new employee orientation last week, and, you know, a couple of the, the folks that were you know, going through the onboarding process said, you know, sort of tell us about well-being and what Trinity is doing to promote uh, well-being. Mm -hmm. These were, were new employees, right? So I think it's on lots of people's minds, and if you sort of look at um, retention, right, staffing is probably the biggest issue confronting our, our industry and many industries. And one of the sort of actionable areas that, that, that you can do something about is worrying about uh, well-being in the workplace, right? And so, you know, that's why I think that we're so excited about um, positive psychology, although, you know, we started sort of foraying into this area, you know, before COVID, which is probably mm -hmm. a fortunate thing. 
Yeah, I'd say so too. And, you know, it's uh, obvious statement of the, of, the, of the podcast here. It's, you know, those issues and challenges you just mentioned are, are industry-wide, are industry agnostic, right? They're all about people. And so sure. we, you know, we have onboarding here too. And the same questions come up well-being what's your wellness program like what's your employee benefits program look like and so all those things are are being asked of us as well and so if you if you do take a deeper dive into it you brought up the subject at, about well-being in the workplace too how has trinity implemented some of these principles right or pillars yeah. of positive psychology sure so we'll sort of go in order and i'm not going to to try to touch about all you know they're, they're referred to as positive psychology interventions or ppis i'm not going to try to cover um, every positive psychology intervention that's ever been published, right? <laughs> Just sort of given the, the, the time here. But I'll sort of highlight some of the ones um, for staff or for program participants, maybe for both in some areas, about things that, that we're doing or, or could be done. Great. So we'll start then with the, the P, which is positive emotion. And on that front, I think one of the most powerful interventions is the sort of gratitude journal or three good things where there's research to support that if you take time every day to start your day or to end your day, writing down three good things that have happened in your day or three things that you're grateful for, that has a very beneficial impact on well-being. Now, if you sort of take that to program participants, you know, many of our program participants can't write. So you, know, you can do that in group formats. You can do that um, you know, with a recorder if you wanted. Um, but I do think that that's a, a very powerful intervention. And research would show that you don't necessarily have to do that every day. Four or five days is, is probably sufficient mm -hmm. you know, to sort of develop that that pattern. Sure. And a question for you. And so I, I started this based on our conversation. We, you know, we chatted about a month ago or so. And I've always heard of, you know, gratitude journals, but I, I never really went down that road. And oddly enough, after our conversation, thing, so I'll give you credit for this. I started one with my oldest daughter. Okay. And I'll tell you. You know, it's, it's just, it's been a month and we'll do like probably four days a week, maybe five. We, we miss one on accident sometimes. And it's been really cool. I, I think it's, it's, it, it's very interesting to think about things in a positive light all the time, which is not all the time, but to highlight some of those things in your life that are positive, right? And so yeah. it's reframing your lens, if you will. But what I'll tell you, the unintended, maybe in my unintended side effect or benefit was I feel like I'm closer to my daughter. Yeah. And so is there that, you know, that maybe it's intended or unintended bond between, you know, a service provider and a program participant that are doing this collectively together? Right. And, you know, in, in our context, you know, this is something that you can do at the dinner table, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we tend to emphasize, as most good providers probably do, um, sort of family-style dining, right? And so this is sort of a good way to, to anchor some conversation in a very, you know, sort of positive way. Yeah, Another okay. sort of powerful thing that, that we did um, starting a couple of years ago um, this is more related to person-centered planning for our program participants. Oftentimes, we struggle with coming up with you know meaningful goals for program participants. And so one of the things I asked my residential network directors to do was to take photos catching people um, expressing positive emotion. And so these weren't sort of you know group shots and stuff, right? These were people you know working on puzzles or you know out in nature and stuff. It was like the, the most powerful, um, slideshows for, for one thing, but it does sort of, for, for people that lack language, if you're sort of mindful about catching the positive emotion, I think it does sort of uh, help you uh, do a better job in forming goals and enriching people's lives. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then, so what do you, maybe obvious question, obvious answer to you, then what do you do with the photographs that you take in catching people, you know, in a, in a positive emotional response to something? Well, for us, mostly what we're concerned about 
is, well, sometimes we'll share them with guardians too, but you know, mostly we're looking at those kinds of activities to help build that into a person's life so that uh, they, they have a more uh, fulfilled, full and abundant life, you know, that they're flourishing. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Then what's, uh, what's next on the PERMA? Uh, engagement. Mm -hmm. So that, um, that is really sort of having activities that sort of draw your attention to them, um, require a skill level, but not overly taxing. You know, so they just sort of you know, demand this focus. They, they, they demand a skill level. And for people, when they're engaged in sort of flow activities, they lose a sense of time. So if you think of something that you do, um, you know, you, you can tell me in, in a sec. But, you know, for me, it's things like running mm -hmm. um, that, that really sort of, you know, are helpful from a flow um, standpoint. Puzzles, I guess, at some level, you know, for, for sure. me, is something that I enjoy as, as, as a distraction. Mm -hmm. uh, many people, you know, I think video games sort of, you know, fits this mold. And okay. this is one I, that I sort of poo-pooed a little bit because I, it didn't seem as relevant maybe as some other categories. But there actually is research to suggest that actually structuring and, you know, identifying and structuring activities uh, that bring flow um, is very beneficial and contributes to well-being. And the, the leading researcher in this area is a fellow named Mihai Cheeksentmihai. Not easy to spell, <laughs> uh, not easy to, to, to no. say. But, it, you know, it's really important. So, again, you know, it's for staff members and for program participants, you know, um, really coming up with activities that, that, um, that you know, lead to, to flow. Okay. And so for maybe some of the participants that are nonverbal, you know, maybe more of a challenge to figure it out. And so is that where you, you just – so how do you, how do you determine some of those activities for maybe participants that are nonverbal? Well, again, by sort of, you know, watching, by introducing new things, you know, for folks, you know, some of the common ones would probably be things like, you know, secret word puzzles, um, puzzles, um, those, those, uh, in our agency, a lot of um, folks do mandalas. So okay. sort of like these adult sort of coloring books with these shapes. I mean, but, you know, again, not like children's coloring sure. books, yep. right? Yep. Um, but there are some people that don't have the attention span to really engage in flow activities. So you know, I don't want to mislead anybody. There are certainly some program participants that are constantly on to the next thing. So you know, flow may not be you know, quite as relevant to, to them. Okay, that makes sense. And so then the R would be? Relationships. Okay. And so for this one, you know, it sort of makes sense, right? Like if I ask the, you or the listeners to think of the peak moment that you've had this, this year where you're just completely happy and, and you know, overjoyed, and sort of think about the context in which that occurred. 99% of the time, that's not done in solitude. You know, that's done in the context of, of other people. And this area of relationships is the one I think has suffered most from, from COVID because, you know, it stopped a lot of, you know, contact with, with people. And so it's super, super important to worry about this. And research pans that out. You know, people can look up YouTube videos on, like, the Harvard Longitudinal Study where they follow people from the like the 1950s mm -hmm. um, to present actually. So there's been like three leaded researchers because they keep retiring right over that, that time span. Right. And they do interviews, they do health metrics, and they looked at um, an incoming class of Harvard students as well as impoverished people in an area outside of Boston. And they find consistently like the most powerful impact there is the quality of relationships that, that people have. Yeah. And so you, I know we don't, we're not going to talk about it a lot because I don't think either one of us want to, but you, you did mention COVID. And so that, that did suffer, right? The relationship piece yeah. of PERMA suffered a lot. And, and so how did you, 
how did you keep that front and center? And did you have, I mean, you clearly had a pivot on the way you maybe fulfilled the relationship portion of PERMA for the program participants and your staff, your employees. I'm sure they were feeling it just as, you know, right. the, the program participants were. Yeah, and this is one that, that we're still sort of rolling out, but, but I do think it's really important, but you're right. You know, COVID sort of impacted some of the things that we wanted to do in this, in this area. Um, you know, one good thing about COVID, I guess, is that it sort of forced us to pivot to virtual um, technologies. So we, mm -hmm. you know, our program participants are using Zoom for various reasons, you know, family members, friends, much more than they ever did before. I don't think that's a great substitute for live interactions, but, um, you know, it, it's better than, than nothing. Sure. Um, for sure. And well, some of the, the things that are talked about here, like um, work of uh, Shelley Gable on um, active constructive responding. And so that, that's something that we're working on, sort of uh, increasing staff awareness around which is when people share good news with you, mm -hmm. how do you respond to that, right? So somebody that says, you know, I got promoted and, you know, the person's distracted on their telephone and says, oh, that, that's great, right? That's not real terrific. And so active constructive responding is this real act, just like what it sounds, right? Wow, that's terrific, you, yeah. know? Um, you know? You know, tell me about that. Like, how'd you, how'd you do that? You know, what did the boss say, right? Uh -huh. And really what you're doing there is that I think that you're helping the person savor their experience. And what they find is that active constructive responding is very powerful and you know it's been well replicated in terms of the impact on relationships. And that example I gave before about the cell phone, that would be called passive constructive responding. That actually is associated with bad outcomes. Yeah. So even though they're, they're, it's constructive, it's still not helpful in terms of relationships. It actually has a detrimental effect on, on relationships. So we're, we're going to be building this out going forward. Probably the and then there's another thing that, that viewers should look up because it's super cool, and you might find this in terms of your daughter. Um, uh, Aaron did some research called 36 Questions to Make You Fall in Love. And so um, you can find, you can download, if you look up 36 Questions on any phone, um, you can download that, that app. And it really is sort of what it sounds. It's 36 questions that you go through with a partner. And what they found in the research is after people went through this process of about 90 minutes, that they would relate, they would rate that relationship with the person that they just did that with as being as, as intimate as most of their relationships in real life, right? So, you know, what we were hoping to do there was to, like, in our main building here, you know, we have 150, 180 people here on a daily basis. We were hoping to do some stuff in our cafeteria where you could sort of meet a stranger, somebody you didn't know, and sort of structure some activities, you know, around doing the 36 questions. And then sort of, you know, weaving that into program participants as, as well. The other thing that, that we've been playing around with, and we're in sort of our train-the-trainer mode right now, is we've created small groups um, using a positive psychology curriculum. And so we've been going through that process. You know, I think we're in about week 16 right now. And it's just been so powerful. We've been doing this via Zoom because we have you know, programs in, down by St. Louis and Chicago. And just the connections that have been formed there are remarkable. And, and so you get to know people you know, outside of work is one benefit. Two, we're sort of, you know, it gives you homework assignments and things to work on related to positive psychology. And then you have sort of this accountability network to actually follow through on some of these things, to keep a gratitude sure. journal, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, and I, I've got, I, I think everybody listening theme right now or watching, whatever it may be, is that when you talk about, you know, the relationship piece, and one thing that I'm really big on with is intentionality, intention around your efforts, your actions, your behaviors. And that could be certainly being an active participant in a conversation, being an active listener in a conversation. Because just think about what you just shared, that example of you have really good news to share. 
and a person that you're in a relationship with can't even look up from their phone to put it down and have it, you know, be engaged in your joy, be engaged in that pot, that conversation. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's so obvious, but yeah. we don't do it. And yeah. I think if you, we could all do a better job of doing that, we'd have our relationships to your point would be much stronger and much better. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. A, that's a really cool example. So thanks for sharing on that one. And so what's, uh, what's next? Meaning. Okay. Yep. So, you know, in terms of meaning, you know, from a staff perspective, sometimes you sort of take it for, for granted that people will find meeting. Now, now I'm talking more like direct support professionals, right, who are working with people on a daily basis. You think sort of by nature of, of what they're doing, that meaning is inherent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure that that's the case. And there's plenty of things, you know, when you're down staff and stuff and, and the workload is higher, that pulls people away from that. So I think, you know, really being intentional on recognizing um, people uh, as they're making a difference in people's lives and sort of pointing that that out um, mm-hmm. with folks and really sort of emphasizing that, you know, we have recognition systems and stuff that, that we use to to facilitate that. But that's, that's super important. And, you know, I think that, that probably the most common way that, that, that people find meaning in their life is either to use what Seligman refers to as um, signature strengths. And if you go, if you look up um, authentic happiness at the University of Pennsylvania website, you can take what's called the VIA Strengths Test. It's 240 questions. You can take it for free. And so it identifies, um, he identified 24 strengths, and it'll give you a profile of what your strengths are. So the two most common ways to find meaning are to either be involved in activities consistently that are using your signature strengths or to be making a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so you know, many of our staff members have taken the VIA Strengths Protocol. Not as many program participants because for many of them it would be tough to grasp. So we've been wrestling with, you know, could we come up with something similar uh, that would be more accessible for our program participants? Okay. And how, how important is, is perspective? And I'll, I'll, maybe I'll frame it in a different way. You, you shared the fact that um, all the time, especially the last couple of years, DSPs have been not overworked, but working really, really hard. And yeah. maybe seeing this as a job and not a, a place that has meaning. And so how important is perspective or third-party stories, you know, sharing good relationship stories or good meaning stories that other peers had with an individual that you're providing services to? Is that part of this? Is that something that's in its core or framework? Or no? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how that, that occurs, but I think that, that it's very powerful for for folks and i think that's one of the things that that's happened in, again in sort of the, our industry mm-hmm. is that so many people have retired or sort of left that you know maybe have been in agencies for a period of time where you sort of lose some of that perspective right sure and so it's really important because you know the network that i came from was our behavioral health network and you know sometimes you know i'll hear staff members you know working with people who are struggling and they they don't have that history that i do right well when this person came you know they're breaking out windows on a weekly basis, and they're doing X, Y, and Z, right? But there aren't current team members, like in a particular day program, that have that perspective of where, how far this person has really come, right? And how different people have made a difference in in their lives. Sure. That's a good point. That does make sense. And then what about A? Accomplishment? Um, So here, you know, for all of our employees, we do growth plans, first of all, where we try to work with them to sort of set up 
um, things, not just, you know, not like work goals, right? Not like, well, do this for next week or by in the next quarter, but things related to their professional development. And so oftentimes, you know, public speaking, you know, oftentimes makes this or taking a class on something, finding out more, enriching their knowledge of positive psychology. And then again, in the context of ongoing supervision, um, you know, supporting people around that. You know, a woman, one of my colleagues last night gave her first talk at the IARF conference. And oh, you know, what a great celebration because, you know, yeah. she's in the small group um, that I'm in. And this was a goal she set out and she did a terrific job. So, you know, huge celebrations, right? And the accomplishment that, that, that um, you know, is just so, so important. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And I think, you know, we, again, and I'm not going to make this a, a attorney-specific or agency perspective, but just we, I don't think we do a good enough job sometimes of doing that as well. You know, I think we do in pockets. But again, I go back to intentionality. This is something that leaders of organizations and people even, you know, whatever your position is in an agency, it helped do a better job of rewarding accomplishments. Yeah, on the program participant side, it's, you know, A, having meaningful goals, which is important. We talked about that. But then celebrating program participant achievement. And so we have a very robust um, recognition program for our program participants called TADA. So I can show you the numbers on that. It's just, you know, it's grown. Uh, every year that that we've done it, just these you know these these great celebrations, uh, family members because some of these are done you know via Zoom or were anyways during COVID. Family members you know often are participating, and it's just like such a cool experience. Um, and the other thing that that this Tada data allows us to do, um, and we'll do more of this in the future, is sort of recognizing our champions. And so sure. I'd like to have even a sort of formal recognition ceremony and things for our champions. You know the the people who are helping our program participants. Um, accomplish what's most important in mm-hmm. their lives. Yep, no, I, I love it. And, and you're, I mean, it seems like Trinity is certainly adopting a lot of these principles and uh, I think in large part due to your leadership. So I, I thank you on behalf of uh, everybody else. And I know you're not, Thane, I know you're not on a book tour and you might not <laughs> entirely be comfortable with self-promotion, so I'll do it for you. Uh, was there anything you want to share about the book you wrote with, with your father, Art? And the book is titled A New Plan using positive psychology to renew the promise of person-centered planning. Anything you want the listening audience to know about the book? Well, I did more work than art. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not at all. Uh, A, it was an honor to to collaborate with my dad Mm -hmm. uh, on on the book. You know, it's been well-received. You know, I think that that person-centered planning, you know, is is a difficult thing to do it in, in a skillful way. You know, Person-centered planning has, has existed for a, for a long period of time, but but often poorly executed. And so, yeah, we have different principles. We sort of talk about the history of person-centered planning, and we talk about what we think are some of the key dimensions. And one of the most important things, I think, is that the plan itself is something that's easily um, easily used by program participants and is meaningful to them. And so, the the sort of structure that we've suggested. You know, has lots of pictures and things for program participants. They can hit a button to have their goals read, and it's like you know, the the, the guts of it are probably like in a trifold plus some additional pages for uh, sure. for goals. And you know, we've had a lot of success in program participants. You know, because of the pictures and they're helping sort of put pictures into it. Um, you know, really find a value in it. You know, what good is a personal plan like you know the ones in Illinois that are twenty two pages long, uh, all text? You know, no program participant wants to uh, right to 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 have that you know nobody's going to show that off and mm-hmm. as are proud of proud of it so you know we've been working at that but you know we're equally excited that we've been working on a app a app for tablets and phones and whatnot so okay. that we can do the planning um 
you know, in that modality, and program participants themselves um, can have it in that modality. You know, many of our program participants have smartphones and things. Yep, yep. And so we're building out um, some, like, dashboards and things so that agencies, if they're using it, can get feedback. And so, you know, it's been pretty well received at this point. You know, it's a work in progress. But we've also had a lot of interest to, um, from the traumatic brain injury sort of sector. You know, I'm not sure if their their efforts haven't been... You know, maybe they're just not as sort of advanced in thinking about person-centered planning, but it's been fascinating to me that that we've received a lot yeah. of interest from that group. That is interesting. That is interesting. And so for anybody listening who wants to further their knowledge on the subject of positive psychology, please check out Thane and Art's book. And again, Thane did most of the work. Um, and so I do know if we get a negative view or a negative response on our podcast, I know it's I know it's Art. So Art, please be kind. But that book is a new plan using positive psychology to renew the promise of person-centered planning. You could also find that on Amazon. Anywhere else, Thane? Uh, probably Amazon's probably as easy as anything. Yeah. And everybody's got yeah. Amazon. Everybody's got Amazon. So Thane, I, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've been a wonderful guest, a wonderful educator, a wonderful friend to Horton. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. And so that'll wrap it up for today. So until next time, on behalf of the Horton Group, I'm Jason Helford saying thank you for listening to the One Thing Podcast. Mm-hmm.